Welcome to the Grand Conversation, the Machon Siach podcast. Machon Siach at SAR High School, honoring the memory of Belda Kaufman Lindemann Zichrona Levracha, is the research arm of SAR High School, where faculty bridge theory and practice on matters of Jewish education, curriculum, and culture. I am your host, Shmuel Hain, Rosh Beit Midrash at SAR High School, and Director of Media and Publications at Machon Siach. Our producer is Avi Bloom, and our engineer is Greg Schmidt. The idea for this special episode of The Grand Conversation emerged from the meaningful UJA mission to Israel that our founding principal, Rabbi Tully Hartstark, was fortunate to join. On that mission, Rabbi Hartstark ran into Effie Shoam Steiner in Jerusalem. Effie is a former SAR parent when he has been on sabbatical in New York with his family. We are honored to share with you Effie in conversation with Rabbi Hartstark about the important work he has been doing since October 7th. Uh, thank you, Rabbi Hain. I'm honored to welcome Professor Effie Shoham Steiner to the Machon Siach Grand Conversation podcast. Professor Shoham is a historian specializing in medieval Jewish history. He's an associate professor at the Department of Jewish History at Ben Gurion University of the Negev in Be'er Sheva. He's also the director of the Center for the Study of Conversion and Interreligious Encounters at Ben Gurion. When on sabbatical in New York, he has also been an SAR parent, um, and our community has established a strong relationship with Professor Shoham over the years. Uh, today, we invited Effie to tell us not about his profession, what he's been doing over the course of these decades on the university front, but the way that his life has changed since October 7th and the vitally important work that he's doing in Jerusalem. Effie, welcome. Thank you. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, if we can just start, it uh, feels like everything at this point is uh, divided between before October 7th and after October 7th. If we could begin really right since this war began, you've been doing remarkable work. Can you take us through the process, your first hearing about the war's beginning and how that brought you to the work that you're doing now, describing some of that work to us? Um, well, actually, for me, the war started oddly in Shul. Um, I was in shul that morning and the sirens went off, which was very odd because we hardly get, you know, sirens in Jerusalem. There were a few incidents of rocket firing in Jerusalem uh, a few years back, but this was this really came out of the blue. And the minute we heard the sirens go off, we realized something fun was fundamentally wrong. Um, people eventually um, cleared the shul because the shul does not have a bomb shelter. And uh, as we made our way home and 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 kind of in bewilderment, uh, more and more people that we met said that something dreadful is happening down south. Um, many people decided to open their cell phones and started reading the news and realizing what was going on. And I guess halfway into the day, uh, it was clear that what we were experiencing is something of a different magnitude. Um, we did not have a clear picture of what was going on, but we were very cognizant of the fact that this was very different from any round of violence that Israel was involved in and any um, skirmish we had over the past few years. Um, and as the picture unfolded over the course of the day, actually, uh, we realized that we have to do something to help. Um, when I say we, I refer to the group I've been affiliated with since January. I've been affiliated with a group called Shomrim al Shutaf, Safeguarding Our Shared Home. It's a group that uh, was involved in the protests 
against what we identify as the judicial overall that the current government in Israel was trying to kind of forward during uh, the past 10 months. Uh, and we realized that we have the capacity uh, through the network of people that are supporting us uh, to mobilize uh, a, gra- a great number of people to help. How did you know or even know how to think about the ways that you could help? Uh, thinking that you had that infrastructure that you could mobilize seems like an enormously important first thought and sounds like you thought that very quickly. Uh, but how did you realize the ways in which you could make a difference? We realized that um, many people in the South were under very, very uh, severe circumstances. We started hearing of many people being uh, fleeing from the South. Uh, we heard of the casualties. We heard of people being evacuated to hospitals. And we realized that uh, we could use our network to mobilize. We did not yet know uh, the full picture. Um, but what came about over the course of time was that we also need to reach out to other groups in Jerusalem. Um, by the end of the day, there was already a coalition of a few organizations that teamed together, uh, determined and set on trying to help in whatever way possible. We started with organizing blood donations. Um, within three days, we had a blood drive, a steady flow from a blood drive that we had put together with uh, a thousand blood uh, uh, um, units every day uh, being distributed to soldiers on the field and to the hospitals um, that were suffering from a shortage due to the immense number of uh, people injured during the first few days uh, of this war. Um, by the second and third day of the of the war, we realized that many people are being evacuated from the South and are turning up on our doorstep. Some people evacuated themselves, people, you know, with abilities, with with cars, um, with with connections in other cities. And Jerusalem started receiving not a trickle, but literally a flood of people uh, that evacuated themselves from the south. And by the third day of the war, the government decided to evacuate properly all the settlements within seven kilometers from the border. So come uh, the first half week of the war, we had a overflow of thousands of people crowded, bust literally bust into Jerusalem, crowded into uh, the hotels uh, in the city. Um, and by the end of the week, we already had uh, several thousands of people in these hotels, along with a growing demand from the army that was mobilized over the course of the next of, of, of the days right after Simchat Torah, uh, asking for all sorts of equipment. Now, I, I should say something about that for a moment. Uh, normally, when the army is mobilized on a smaller scale, the army can handle uh, the requirements. Um, because you 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 prioritize between you know the the different units, but this is the first time since the Yom Kippur War. This is the first time since 1973, 50 years ago exactly, uh, that a mobilization of the army on this scale has occurred. Uh, we're talking about between three to five hundred thousand Israelis that were mobilized, called in, um, and 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 served serving in the capacity of soldiers, and the army was 
um, you know, with in an inability to cater for all of them. Uh, now, most of the equipment was there, but um, there are some units that are better equipped than others, and uh, it needed um, civil society to kind of pull in by its bootstraps and help out. And this is what we tried to do. Um, before I ask you about uh, how uh, the specifics of the work you did, can you tell us about the number of, um, I guess, once the influx of evacuees settled, approximately how many uh, evacuees are there in the hotels of Yushalayim now? And uh, I know that people are evacuated to different locations. So where are most of these uh, people and families coming from? So um, currently, this is, because of the situation, uh, the first wave of evacuees was from the south, from within seven kilometers of the Gaza Strip. Uh, so we're talking about in and around uh, 50,000 people, uh, 20,000 of them landed in Jerusalem in the various hotels and, and youth hostels that the city can um, can put up. Um, the government was, was kind of slow in responding there and sometimes... Um, we didn't have the exact numbers. We did have uh, a good knowledge that these hotels are packed. Uh, in other words, they were in they were housed in full capacity. By the end of the first week, we realized we have more in and around thirty thousand people in Jerusalem, twenty thousand of whom evacuated officially by the government, literally given ten to fifteen minute notice to pack essential belongings put on a bus and scrambled out of Shderot, Ofakim, Netivot, uh, the kibbutzim that were hit, uh, Moshavim within the seven kilometer range. Um, once the war also kind of, um, I wouldn't want to say yet spread out because it, you know, the, 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 the skirmishes in the north are not of the magnitude that we suffered in the south, but uh, the government decided that the Ministry of Defense decided that because of the danger that Hezbollah is uh, posing to people living in the north, uh, there too, uh, people living within five kilometers of the Israel-Lebanese border were evacuated. So we also have in Jerusalem about 10,000 people that were evacuated from the north. Um, and Jerusalem is not the only hub that kind of took in people from both the north and the south. There are centers all around the country uh, that are housing these evacuees. Eilat is housed to full capacity. All the hotels in Eilat are are and all full. My understanding of Eilat is uh, there are 50,000 residents in Eilat in the st- usually, and they've taken in 60,000 evacuees, more than doubling their population. Yeah, almost double, almost double. Um, all the Almost all the people living in the kibbutzim in in and around the, the the Gaza Strip were evacuated to Eilat. And of course, these are people who experienced, you know, the worst uh of this war. Um and and I should say a word of, of merit to to Eilat's mayor, Mr. Lasri, who's literally um, you know, opened up the city. He's uh opened up the schools. They're working double shifts. Uh the kids of Eilat go to school in the morning and the kids who were evacuated down to Eilat are studying are studying in the schools in the afternoons and they're doing wondrous work. Uh, they kind of set the standard in many ways to what is being done uh, with evacuees all over the country. 
Uh, I had the uh, opportunity to see you last week when uh, I visited Israel as part of a UJA Federation of New York mission. Uh, it was inspiring, really inspiring to see the scope of civic mobilization and the project that you've been working on. Can you, and, and I, the word Hamal has now entered uh, my vocabulary in a, an entirely new way. Can you explain to us what a Hamal is and how uh, you found a space even to do this work? Yeah, so um, very short, uh, in, in a very short period right after uh, things kind of unfolded. We realized we have to open what is called a chamal. A chamal is an acronym in Hebrew. It means it's the acronym of the two words chadar milchama, war room, um, which is is kind of borrowed from the um, you know military term. It's where the center of operations is. It's the situation room. It's the war room from where the battle is conducted, where you get to see all the flat screens and all the comms and all the data that kind of streams in. And we borrowed that word. It's it's a word that we use um, in in Hebrew to to kind of describe what happens when you want to set up ops and start working to a certain goal and certain end. And that's what we did. We opened the chamal. We opened the chadar mil chama, a war room or a situation room. Uh, we eventually decided to call it the JCCC, the Jerusalem Civic Command Center. Uh, we didn't want to call it war room. Uh, because we're basically doing, we're we're trying to kind of oversee a a relief operation, um, not a not a war. The war is conducted by the army and you know the security apparatus. We're trying to reach out to the civilians and people who are bereaved because of this war. Um, so the Hamal became uh, a kind of uh, you know uh, uh, um, it's it's a thing that happened all over the country. Many many communities opened chamalim, opened these war rooms or, or command centers to help the people who've been evacuated from the south, um, the army that needed supplies and so on. Um, about a day, when, when we started thinking of where to put up this center of operations, we reached out to the Nissan Nativ Acting School, which is situated in the center of Jerusalem. You visited it. It's a beautiful new building. It's a center of culture, music, acting, performing arts in uh, in the in the heart of Jerusalem. It's a magnificent um, space. Really. It's a magnificent space, and and the man in charge is a friend. Is good. Of, is a good friend of mine. His name is Aaron Feuerstein. He's been the director of uh, the Nisanative Acting Studio for for a, a while now. And because we are friends, um, and it's a you know it's a tightly knit community, we we reached out to him and asked him whether he'd mind if we put up a folding table and a computer on the fifth floor of um, of the uh, Nisanative Acting Studio. And he said, as far as I'm concerned, since no one's really studying at this point, uh, you can use the entire building. We should actually and, make make that clear as well in terms of what's happening with the universities. All universities yeah, are closed. There's no, Right. The universities are closed. The school year normally in Israel opens after Chagim, after Sukkot, uh, not like in the States after Labor Day. So um, people were expecting to start school more or less a week after the war broke out. Of course, none of that is happening. None of the universities is going on. None of the colleges is going on. And so is Nisan Nativ Acting School, which follows the academic calendar. So Aaron was gracious enough to let us use his space and we're basically occupied 
the entire building, the five-story building. We used um, the theaters as um, storage rooms for supplies, toiletries, army uh, supplies, and all that kind of stuff that we started stockpiling, buying, importing from all sorts of places, donations that we received. Um, there's a beautiful space on the first floor that was used as a kind of um, lounge for the students to sit and chill out. Uh, and a Betzalel a teacher uh, the, from the Arts and Crafts Academy, Betzalel in Jerusalem, uh, turned it into a store so that people who were evacuated from the South can actually come collect clothes in a manner that would not look like a storage room, but rather like a store that you can pick your own clothes. And it's, it's, it's really touching to see people arriving from the hotels, you know, in need of a dress, in need of a sweater for the kid, in need of a toy for a kid. They can walk into this makeshift store and, and pick stuff from, and of course it's all free. Nothing is, everything is free of charge. Who's, who is staffing all of this? It's an enormous project. It's an enormous project. Um, the people staffing it are coming from a few organizations, especially NGOs uh, and the organization that I'm part of, Shomrim Alabaitam Shutaf. We mobilized, as I said in the beginning, we mobilized our network of volunteers and the people who are on our WhatsApp groups. And we asked them to, you know, pitch in and shoulder this burden. And people were amazing. Uh, people were amazing in donating blood. People were amazing in donating clothes. People were amazing in putting forward funds. Uh, people were amazing in driving um, soldiers up to the front line, evacuating people from small little hamlets, uh, you know, not the major cities of the South, so that they can come and arrive in Jerusalem safely. Um, and we, the volunteer, we have, um, on a daily basis, we have 350 volunteers in every shift. Uh, the Hamal is operational from 8 o'clock in the morning to 9 o'clock at night in two shifts. We have 350 people in every shift, and we have more or less 4,000 people as listed volunteers who would do anything we ask them to uh, based on their expertise, needs, wants. Um, people of all ability. ages and all stages of life. It's an astounding number. Yes, yes. Um, we First of all... Um, we have a, a l relatively large number of students. Uh, you should ex you should appreciate the fact that um, many of the students, people of the student age, have been mobilized and are in the army currently. But people who have not been mobilized felt a need and urge uh, to to kind of you know also take part in this huge effort. And we have students from the Shalem Center. We have students from Betzalel. We have students from Hebrew U. We have students from all kinds of uh, institutions in the city um, that are part of this operation. We have volunteers that are, you know, um, uh, of of older ages. We have people who are university professors who are out of work because the universities are not there. We have school teachers, um, high tech people, people who work in the morning and come and take the the afternoon shift. And just to make um, sure we're stating naming the obvious. These are all volunteers. People are just giving their time. Right. All volunteers. Um, the only thing that we are trying now to kind of look into is to kind of maybe cater for the students uh, who've been working really tirelessly at this operation and try and get them some scholarships for the time that they are putting in because um, they, a lot of them, you know, 
are renting apartments in Jerusalem and the rent does not pay itself unless you have some money to provide for it. So people who've been volunteering and not working, uh, we're trying to give them some stipends so that they will be able to pull, you know. I I, uh, I have some certainly questions about what you're up to now and how you're thinking about the future, but I'm still catching up from a few weeks back. Um, when we think about the scope of the need that you know, the, this Hamal is providing for. Um, so as you describe, people are left without clothing um, and they needed that provided for and food, etc. I'm wondering if you can, widening it out, what are the kinds of things that that dawned on the group at some point and said, well, we need to figure this out because uh, the families don't have this. And, oh, I, I never thought that actually have to cover that. Like, what, what were some of the elements as they came to? So, um, as I stated in the beginning, many people arrived um, with literally very few clothes. Uh, the first thing we had to cater for was laundry. Um, we had to do laundry for people because they were up in hotels. Uh, the hotels do the sheets for the hotel in their laundry, but they're not you know, up to doing people's laundry. And so we had to operate and, and create a, a, some sort of laundry operation. Uh, the next thing we needed to do was try and find some um, thing for the people to do. Uh, people were uh, evacuated with very little belongings. Um, their, most of their lives left behind in the cities and towns and, and, and settlements that they live in. Uh, they sometimes took a small suitcase, maybe a large suitcase, uh, but all that they could throw in within 15, 20 minutes when they were evacuated. Um, so we found ourselves trying to cater for those needs, um, clothing, toiletries. Uh, later on, we started thinking about what do we do with these kids who were evacuated with their parents and they're out of school. Um, during the first week and a half of the war, there was no school for anyone, uh, not the kids living in Yerushalayim that was not bombed, but also not the kids who arrived from Shterot, Netivot, Ofakim, and so on. Uh, so we tried to volunteer and help the parents uh, by, you know, taking care of their kids for at least a few hours a day. Um, think about it. We're, we're looking at families that were set up in hotels in very, very cramped spaces, sometimes l- relatively large families, six, seven members of one family in two, cramped in two rooms, uh, 24, 24 hours a day together. Um, you need some, you need some, you know, air to breathe. And so we moved in, uh, with many volunteers that took care of these kids, babysitting needs, um, a bit of educational work. Uh, we opened three schools in hotels in, uh, uh, in Jerusalem, in the Leonardo Hotel, in the, uh, it's a Zeit Hotel. Um, and people actually sent their kids to school for a week and a half before the government actually took over and, and started a proper school operation. Who are the teachers? Uh, in the, are these the teachers were volunteers, volunteers, m- most of them people who've been teachers in retirement, young students who are, um, uh, you know, trainees in, in the educational um, capacities, and, and they moved in and created these schools. Um, we also had to take care of a lot of psychological issues. People, you know, 
people are literally refugees in their own country. Um, they're not refugees as far as the exact, um, you know, fine wording, um, but they but they are displaced people, and they need counseling. They need a, a, an open heart and an ear so that they can voice their concerns, their their problems, their troubles, their experiences, and we provided for that as well. Some with uh, professional uh, help and some with just, you know, an open heart and a good ear to listen to people. And understanding that people are, everyone is different and there's so many people that you are responding to. Now, a few weeks out, um, can you give a sense of the spirit of of the families? What is the the tone, how are they managing, understanding that they're all different from each other? Um, They are all different from each other. We have a variety of communities. Um, I can say a few things. First, um, there is a fundamental difference between uh, communities that were were evacuated as communities and and people who were scattered in different places. Uh, If an entire, we, we see this very strongly where uh, kibbutzim were evacuated as a bulk from the place they lived to another kibbutz. Uh, their ability to stand together and their ability as a community uh, is is of crucial importance. People who are on their own or who have been um, yanked out of their lives and 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 positioned in with with other people in an evacuee hotel um, need much more guidance, helping hand, and so on. Um, what we're seeing right now is a growing need of trying to wrap our heads and their heads around a long stay. What do you do when the trajectory of this war is somewhere between a few months and maybe half a year? What do you do when you're away from your home for such a prolonged period and you basically have no way of going back because currently there's fighting down south um, I should remind you that there's no border by Gaza Strip. In other words, the border has been Ill- infiltrated in so many places. People say, regardless of whether the fighting dies down in a week from now, as long as there's no fence and there's no proper border, I'm not Can't going go back, back home. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm not going back. So we're we're going to have to look at a prolonged stay of many of these evacuees um, in places like Jerusalem. And what we're trying to do is basically to hand over the baton to the government. Um, We're being aided very graciously by the Jerusalem municipality. The Jerusalem municipality is an amazing, amazing operation. I want to remind you and and our listeners, Jerusalem has almost a million people. So the city uh, municipality is a strong one. Um, It has budgets, it has money. And it took a while for it to kind of mobilize properly, but it realizes the task that it has to shoulder. And and what we're trying to do is to kind of be there in the intermediate period to to kind of help um, government agencies, the municipality to get their act together and help these people out and in the best way possible. Is this um, from the, is the national government and the municipality, are those two different uh, strands here in terms um, of the support? They, they the are, they are, they are, because um, the municipality is, you know, on, on a local level. Um, it's a, it, it also depends uh, 
um, not only on the Jerusalem municipality, but for instance, um, when I described the school, um, a week and a half after the school that we started as volunteers started operating, uh, the city municipality of Sderot came in and said, listen, um, these are our children. We are not there in Sderot, but we would like to get collect the teachers that are here in Jerusalem from Sterot, and since they are these kids' teachers, we want them to teach. And they are actually doing the job. They're getting paid. Uh, the government is channeling funds through that avenue. And we are slowly pulling out of that picture, uh, enabling the municipalities that have been evacuated to move in to the largest extent possible from their end to help their people who are currently not in their own regular position or regular space. So um, with the help of the municipality of Zderot, of Akim, Netivot, uh, and the smaller um, local councils, and with the municipality of Jerusalem, we're trying and we're, we're actually managing to help these people. Um, so we're shifting um, as an operation. Also, the Hamal is shifting from caring for immediate needs to thinking on a larger scale. Um, we're, we, we were asked, for instance, to provide for extracurricular activities for the kids, not for the actual education, but for the extracurricular. So you imagine that going forward, uh, the Hamal is going to be still in place and functioning in, in the coming I'll say, you know, we don't know what the longer future will bring, but you imagine still being in place, but the role shifting in some sense. Yes, yes. Um, I think it will also, the number of volunteers will 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 kind of taper down, um, but it will be in place, I guess, for the next six months. Um, I think that that's not, that's not a speculate. That's, that's not a, you know, to, to a guess. Far, not a far, yeah, it's a safe guess. It's not a far-fetched speculation. Um, um, I wanted to ask about uh, something I actually shared with uh, our faculty. Today's uh, election day in the United States, and you had an in-service day. And um, some of the pictures from my trip, one of which included uh, you in uh, with Rabbi Exler in your Baytam Shutaf shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And that says, it says something very important in terms of you're thinking about the state of Israel um, at this moment. Uh, can you tell us why you were wearing that shirt at that time, what it means and why you're wearing it? Okay, so I'll say something about Habaytam Shutaf. Um, over the past 10 months, um, since the current government was elected and eventually formed a coalition, and once we realized that the coalition was, uh, I'd say, bent on making some very, very serious changes to the um, equilibrium between the branches of government, there's been a protest movement, which of course, all of you have, 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 have been following, I, I imagine. And, and anyone uh, with an opinion about Israel had an opinion also about um, the protests. Yes. Um, our uh, motto was, we're trying to safeguard our shared home. In other words, we oppose the judicial overhaul, but we believe that if people think that a fundamental change within our judiciary is needed, it should be done, but it should be done with a vast majority supporting it and not a slim 
majority like the one that the current coalition is is kind of holding in Knesset. And for that to happen, we believed that a large and and uh, overarching support should be mustered. That was our protest. Our protest was we want to safeguard our shared home. Everybody has a stake in the shared home. Jews, Arabs, religious, non-religious, Haredi, non-Haredi, um, and all these groups' needs and concerns should also be addressed uh, if one wants to pull off such a, you know, across-the-board change within the government. Um, and that was our motto. It was a very unique voice because, as you know, there were other people with um, more extreme voices about um, how to address the judicial overhaul. Um, and once the war broke out, uh, we felt that basically we are, this is exactly what we're about. We're about safeguarding our shared home. Uh, and that's why I should say, uh, safeguarding our shared homes spearheaded the formation of the Hamal in Jerusalem and, and basically got all the parties, the NGOs, political parties that are involved together and said, listen, this is a time of need of crisis. Um, everybody should put their differences aside, not their opinions, not their convictions, but their differences, their current differences aside in order to shoulder this very, very unfortunate burden that we need to shoulder. Um, and in that respect, we see our work in Hamal as part of our mission, uh, as safeguarding our shared home, a home that is home for everyone, all Israelis, uh, and with a concern for everyone involved. Um, this war has shown that our enemies do not make a discrepancy between Jews and Muslims, Arab, Jews and Arabs, Israelis and uh, of, of different faiths and walks of life. Uh, and that's how we should also relate to this matter from our end. I think that that, uh, that sense of achdut and, and shared mobilization across all those divides, we feel that, we see that uh, from here, and uh, it's truly inspiring. And I'm wondering, that I, there's a similar kind of feeling in terms of thinking about uh, world Jewry and uh, Jewish people in Israel. Um, I know that there's a tremendous desire here to do whatever it is that we can. And right now here, uh, the Jewish community is experiencing things that it has not experienced in its American lifetime in this way. Um, and I'm wondering uh, thoughts that you have, ways that we can support each other across uh, across the, uh, the ocean. Um, so first, I should say that uh, we we've been we've been overwhelmed by uh, the amount of support we're receiving from um, Jews living outside the state of Israel, um, both from North America, from Europe, from England, from Australia. Um, people have showed concern. People, as they say, put their money where their mouth is and, and seriously donated to helping out on all levels and all on all operations that we've been uh, kind of um, signaling out as places where we need financial support. Um, I think the most important thing that we can see right now are a few things on, on, on this front of, of this uh, joint effort by people living both within and outside Israel. Uh, first and foremost, we are in, I think, in, in a serious need to be together in this. Um, I think this war has shown us 
that regardless of where you live, if you're a Jew, you're singled out. And and people, uh, uh, I know that people in the U.S., especially students from campuses, have been seeing this and feeling this very strongly since the war broke out. There's a surge in uh, anti-Israel uh, protests, uh, all kinds of letters that have been going around. Um, An anti-Semitic language. Anti-Semitic <laughs> language, uh, very blatant anti-Semitic language. Yeah. Uh, so, so we we we're we're seeing that that in many ways, um, living here or living abroad, is 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 not really a difference. Uh, we are we are targeted as Jews, and in that respect, um, we're, we're experiencing this together. Uh, the other thing I think, and that is important, especially to people living in a democracy, a strong democracy like the United States, is to reach out to your political um, people and to your representatives and to uh, express the need to help Israel, especially currently on the abductee front. I mean, one of the things that we are we are very concerned with, I just came back from a rally. Um, we, we now, uh, you know, it's, it's the Shloshim day since the war. And uh, we had a few ceremonies during this day commemorating uh, the Shloshim, but also um, making a, a very strong claim for the abductees, people who've been abducted from the Nova uh, Music Festival, the Kibbutzim, uh, people who've been abducted from from Ofakim, from Sderot. Um, we're concerned for these 240 people, uh, very concerned, uh, and we want to muster as much pressure as we can. And I think using the political mechanisms of strong democracies like the U.S. is is of vital importance to this cause. So in that respect, we see a very, very strong need for American jury, especially American jury, to kind of um, also help us out. Um, we are, I think we, at this point, um, we're going to be figuring out very soon how we can also use volunteers. And if you have uh, missions planned to come and to to arrive in Israel, um, I think within less than a month, we'll have pretty good uh, map. We, we, we've been able, we will be able to map out the needs where we can use people who come from the United States for short-term missions to help out. There are things that need to be done. Our next, uh, we have a mission scheduled uh, for two weeks from now, and uh, it won't be the last for sure. So I can say for one, for one thing, for instance, because we have so many people currently mobilized, uh, Israel's agriculture is in need of working hands. Um, people all over the country have been driving down to the south to help pick tomatoes and cucumbers and um, just you know hands in in, in the agriculture because. Um, the South is is kind of our barn, our huge barn and 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 a bread pan, and we need the helping hand. So, I guess that would be of need. Um, educational work would be of need. Um, helping with people who are evacuees will be of need. Um, and now we're in the process of mapping out exactly where we are needed and where we can have or be aided by missions coming from uh, abroad that will hopefully also help us uh, in, in catering for these people. 
uh, shattered. There's a great uh, desire to be able to help in whatever way we can. Uh, there's a lot of love. And I, I do want to, if I could just ask, we've been talking uh, broadly about the municipality and the country. How are you and how's your family? Um, we're all right. I mean, we live in Jerusalem and it's, we, you're, we're not in, you know, um, immediate danger. Um, my, my, my personal concern is for my, for my sons. We have five boys. Um, and the three older ones are mobilized. Two of them are actually in fighting in Gaza. Uh, we have two, uh, two of them in tank units and one is a paratrooper. So the paratrooper is, um doing all kinds of missions going in and going out so we get to speak to him every once in a while but our two uh our tank commander and tank loader uh we did not hear from for the past week and a half uh we assume that no news is good news but mm -hmm. i can I, I i can assure you it's 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 tough uh not hearing from your kids and knowing that they might be in harm's way uh, so we pray. We pray for their safekeeping and for the safekeeping of all our chayim and for their um, victory in this struggle and for all of them to come home safely. Amen. We are uh, praying along with you. I can't imagine the challenge as a parent, um, but uh, it's important for us to say to you that uh, there's a lot of love here uh, for you, for Medina Israel, for Am Israel, and Bezrat uh, Hashem, God willing, we will win. Effie, I want to thank you for thank all you. of your remarkable work and for, in the middle of all of that, taking time uh, to be with us. And thank you for, for the concern and for the love and the support. This is, this is of immense importance to us here. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Grand Conversation. Please be sure to visit our website, www.machonsiach.org, where you can subscribe to our podcast and find all of our work, papers, and podcasts on a variety of subjects. Until next time, this has been The Grand Conversation, the Machon Siach Podcast.